0: Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We come together for week four of our Lenten series, Rend Your Hearts Claiming the Promise. Both parts, rending our hearts, examining ourselves, and claiming the promise. They are one and the same. They come together. And so we are being led toward the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ through Easter and Holy Week. But we need to traverse our own souls and hearts, not just as individuals, but as a community, as the body of Christ, to examine ourselves, to repent to prepare to receive the blessing and promise that comes through the cross, through the empty tomb, and through the exaltation of Christ altogether. So today, we focus on a very strange passage from the Hebrew scriptures, Moses and the bronze snake. And the invitation is for us to look up and live. But before we dive into this strange passage, I wanna tell you a story. My dad was a farmer and grew up on a farm with his brothers and his dad. And they farmed hundreds of acres. I grew up on this farm. And my dad always had really straight lines in the fields. I mean, I remember sitting on his lap or sitting next to him in the truck. And the whole time he's driving, right? He's driving. He's looking out the windows. He's looking at the lines, the rows of how other people have sown their crops, comparing them to his, because he, he wanted to have this you know, straight lines. I mean, it helps everything if your paths are straight. And so he was known for having really straight, really straight rows. And so the question was asked, how, how do you get such straight rows? Because this was before the time of GPS. This wasn't the time where you could plug something into a tractor and it would do it for you. This is where you had to steer. You had to make the straight rows and, and do that all yourself. And so how did you do that? And he said, well, it, you know, the key is really is pretty easy. You don't, you don't look at the ground right in front of you on the tractor. You don't, you don't look right around the actual tractor itself. You fix your eyes on something in the distance, something at the edge of the field, and you keep your eyes focused on that. And if you keep your eyes focused on where it is you want to go, you will find that your your rows will be a lot straighter than if you look down. You get disoriented pretty quickly when you look down. And so you'll think you're straight, but when you look back, the the rows are all weaving. But if you keep your eyes fixed forward, where it is you wanna go, you find that your rows are gonna be a lot straighter. So we're gonna talk about how this this simple message applies. Um, Because We've heard this passage this morning, and it's a strange one. Yes, it's mysterious. And maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't, but I can promise you, either way, you're probably scratching your head saying, that's a weird passage. I don't understand what we're supposed to get from that. And friends, there are more questions about this passage than, than I realize, many more than I realize, and I'm guessing you too. And we could just thumb through a few of them. So the people are grumbling, there's no food or water. And then they turn around and say, and this food is terrible, right? There's no food and water, but this bread is miserable. It's the same word, lechem, is the same word for food or bread. And so it's the same word in the scripture. There's no food. This food's terrible. There's no lechem. This lechem's terrible. Well, which is it? Do they have food or don't they? I don't know. It's strange. Number two, God sends seraphim that's the word seraphim to come to the people and they end up biting the people. Seraphim comes from the Hebrew word seraph, which is fire. And seraphim means like a serpent, like a fiery serpent. It's the same word used in Isaiah six. When Isaiah tells of the call story, he's in the temple and the Lord's presence is there. And there are seraphim around with, with wings and they're covering their face and they're covering their feet and you know, we picture them as like angels, but it's the same word. It's the exact same word, no changes, seraphim. So did, did the angels look like snakes, like fiery snakes, or did the fiery snakes look like angels? What in the world is going on that these, these things that have come from God? Number, number three, God has Moses make a bronze seraphim and put it on a pole hold it up so that the people can look at it. What? Why? What does that have to do with, with anything that God's trying to accomplish? What a strange story. When we find another question is in 2 Kings 18, King Hezekiah rids the land and the area of idols. And what he does specifically mentions is he goes into the temple and takes The bronze seraphim, the same one that Moses had held up, he takes it out and smashes it to bits. People were worshiping it, giving offerings to it. It had a name. And he destroys it. So 500 years later, they are still treasuring and even worshiping this bronze seraphim, this serpent or snake. What? (laughs) It's a strange story. We don't know quite what to do with it. And... If that's not enough, we turn to our fourth gospel and what we're going to hear today is from John chapter 3 as well when a Pharisee comes to Jesus and wants to inquire. He's inquisitive, he's curious. And and in the response that Jesus gives, Jesus says that just like the bronze seraphim or serpent that Moses lifted up, the son of man must be lifted up so that people can have something to see so that then they will believe and gain eternal life. So there's some direct connection between the way that Moses lifts the snake up and what it accomplished and what happens when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, the resurrection, and then finally exalted into heaven. They are related in the same way, Jesus says. Huh? It's a strange story. So much that we kind of skip over that part. Uh, one of the most famous passages of our time is John three sixteen, just a few verses after this reference to the snake of Moses. So is it the snake? Does the snake have anti-venom, this, this bronze snake? So people are getting bit. And so some people think that the fiery serpent is to do with when they get bit, the venom creates a burning sensation. So they started using the word seraphim. So Does the bronze snake that Moses holds up, does it provide anti-venom? Or is looking at it just itself an act of trust and devotion in God, and then it's only then that God will bring healing? A lot of questions, and people have struggled through them for centuries. So I'm gonna give you all the answers, okay? So no more will you have to worry about it. I'm gonna give you every answer. You're gonna understand exactly what's going on. I'm certain. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, and I hope you didn't think that I was certain, and I certainly hope you don't think that I could ever have all those answers or even try. No. There are mysteries in our scripture, and some of them we can understand, and some of them we cannot. And so instead, we're going to look at the situation with the people and Moses and try to make sense of why this story was told and retold, why it was written down, why it was passed from generation to generation to generation and eventually found itself in our hands in our scripture. Because this story wasn't passed along, wasn't told orally for for centuries before being written down and then translated and passed. It It wasn't just because people were bored it wasn't because there wasn't, you know, there, it's just a tradition that people passed on. No, it's, there, there's something specific about this story. There's a reason it's important. There's wisdom that it has to offer us. And so we want to receive that wisdom. But to receive that wisdom, we must seek that wisdom. Does that make sense? I mean, if you don't think you need to know something, then you're probably not going to learn anything about it. It's only when you... Realize I need to know or I have curiosity like the Pharisee, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and asks questions because he realizes he doesn't know the answer. If he thought he knew the answer, he wouldn't have come, which is why not many of the Pharisees did. And even then, he comes with this curiosity, but he resists receiving the wisdom Jesus offers because he's holding on to some perspective. Um, If you don't think you need any more wisdom, you are cutting yourself off from the wisdom. Lent is a time for us to embrace our lack of wisdom so that we can forego our certainties and approach God with humility and receive the wisdom which is going to lead us into fuller life. I mean, that's that's a theme again and again in scripture, so that we have eternal life or Life in the fullest or real life, capital L life. That's what we're here for. That's the whole point of why we are part of the church, of why we're doing what we're doing, because we want to live and not just, not just be alive, but we want to live with a capital L. Our faith is not about just living forever, okay? If that were the case, we could just skip pretty much all of the Bible, and just learn one little small thing, whatever it is, everyone defines it differently and then we'd live forever. But let's be honest, if you lived your life the way that you live your life now and you lived it forever, would it feel like paradise? Would it seem like a heavenly reality? Let's be honest, are you tired? Are you exhausted? I mean, are you struggling to live well? Is your life so focused on you that you aren't very focused on anyone else? Do you have a close and life giving, deeply connected relationships with other people? Do you have that in your life? Do you have a whole community of people committed to you, like the church? committed to you? Do you have a community that truly knows the real you? So maybe you have the community, but do you only show yourself as someone who has it all together? Or do you really let the guard down? Do you really let your heart be known? Do you really let them in and truly live in community with them? Do they do that for you? For many of us, we simply don't live in this type of life, this life that is overflowing with joy and grace and love, a life that has commitment and purpose and love and connection. We have we have trouble even being content, don't we? We have a couple of things every now and again, maybe some love, maybe some contentment, maybe some purpose, but Oftentimes it can feel fleeting or we end up messing things up, right? Because that's what we do. So for many of us, we are, we're striving to live right. We want to live right. That's our goal. We want to have a good life, not just be alive and have a heartbeat, but actually live. But if we're honest, do we even know truly what a real and good and full or eternal life even is? The good and real life is not connected to material things whatsoever. It's not. It's not connected in any way. The good life as defined by God, the good and real life is not centered on ourselves. The eternal and good and full life is not about feeling secure and having plenty. The real and good life has nothing to do with belonging to a particular tribe of people. Not nation, not not any particular club. No, none of it. The good life is not connected to those things. It isn't about success. It isn't about being rich. It's not about being popular. You could have all of those things and still be miserable. Amen? I mean, how many examples do we have, we can read about on the magazine racks at the grocery store that tells us about people who seem to have it all, and yet they're not feeling content. They're not feeling purposed. They're not feeling the things that we would describe as a good life. And even if some of us have gotten there in some ways, there's a feeling of, "Is is this it? Do you want this forever? Is that your goal? I hope not. I hope not. Moses was leading a group of people in the wilderness to a new land. And so you could read this story in Exodus. It's an amazing story. And it continues on then through Numbers and even into Deuteronomy. Moses helped the people. God led the charge, but through Moses, they escaped slavery, oppression, bondage, and they were wandering through the wilderness. And the people are griping about wandering through the wilderness to the point where they say, we should be back in slavery and bondage and oppression because at least the food was good, right? Do you see how mixed up they are in in what good life is? They are certain that going back is the better choice. They are certain, they know what the good life looks like. These people, they have no idea what a full and real and good life is. And friends, they're just like us. They're just like us. How often are we complaining about things that frankly we shouldn't be complaining about? How often are we fixated on little details about what's going on in the world around us that doesn't deserve our attention? It causes all sorts of problem in, in our understanding when we think about God and the seraphim and, and the seraphim being sent to bite people and then causing some to die. I mean, my theology really struggles with this whole story. So God God wanted to kill people off. But if we just step back from our own understanding and trying to fit it into our own, own way of perceiving this story and God, we look that... It took this kind of chaos for people to stop focusing on the trivial problems around them and get their attention diverted back to some of the basics of life. Because when the snakes came, they stopped complaining about the food, whether there was any food or whether it was just miserable food. We want good food, right? We like feeling safe and secure. Absolutely, we do. We're human. We certainly wouldn't want to spend an entire generation wandering in a desert. Amen? It doesn't sound like fun, but yet, isn't that what it feels like sometimes in life? Like we're just wandering, ever making our way somewhere, never quite getting all the way there. So often in our culture, we live a life defined by pursuit. You've been pursuing some sort of goal your whole life, right? Oftentimes, many goals at once. Kids, my kids, they want to grow up. That's what they want. They are pursuing being an adult and, and it can't go fast enough for them. They want to get there. They want to grow up. They want to be bigger. They want to call their own shots, right? Until they get there. And then they wish they could be kids again, because that's the way that it works. But teens, young adults, they want to graduate, right? They want to finish school. They're pursuing the degree or just being done with school. And then People around that age, we want to be in a relationship, friends, and significant relationships. Many of us, not everybody, many of us want to commit to one person. And we want to be in a serious relationship. We want to get married. We want to find the right career. We want to find the perfect home. We want to have kids. We want to raise kids. And then eventually we just want to survive kids. We want to retire so that we can then want to feel young Then we just want to be healthy and well. We want to battle disease. We want to work for equal justice. We want to pursue creation care. We want to see our church grow. There's always a list of things that we are in pursuit of that sometimes I wonder if it feels like our whole life is a wandering too. For many of us, life can be an endless pursuit. One day we'll make it and then we'll be happy. How many times have you said that? If I just buy this this one thing, then I'll be content. If I just made it here, then my life would be complete. How many times have you said that to yourself or thought it? And how many times has it happened that way? For some, a version of that has come true. And maybe then when you've arrived in that place that you pined for and then you say, well, it's good, but is this it? I thought it would feel different. As we pursue, we are discontented by many things in the process. So even in our pursuit, we want the right car, we want the right phone, we want the right TV, we want the right clothes, we want to look the right age. We want certain people to never be in charge of our country. Yeah, We want our church to never change, ever. Well, unless it's something I want to see changed. And then then it needs to change. Right? We all do this. Our neighbors disappoint us. Our relationships go through ups and downs. Sometimes getting what we want reveals that we didn't really want that after all. Are you with me, church? Many of us, we get so caught up with what's right at our feet that we forget. We forget where it is we were, we were headed, or we lose sight of it. We lose sight of where it is we ultimately want to be or go and we look back at our life and we just see we've, we've, we've made a mess. We've made a mess of things. It's not the straight and narrow. The people with Moses, they lost sight on the life from which they were delivered and on the life that was ahead and the promise of God. They lost sight of the covenant that God made with them at Sinai that we talked about last week. That the That the God of the universe wants to be intimately connected to them and work the redemption of all the earth through them. They forgot. Seems like how could you forget that? But yet, they got distracted. And if we're honest, haven't we? We get distracted. Now, an attack by snakes will certainly snap you out of distraction, amen? And we don't want it to come to that, but it did in the story. They were, they, they'd been looking every other way but where they should be looking toward the promise of God. Their focus was everywhere else except where it should be. God was trying to teach them, to lead them, to heal them, to prepare them so that they could live into the promise, not just for themselves, but for the whole world, all of creation and humanity. They were all over the place, and their path was windy. And they get bit, and they feel the burn, and then Moses makes a snake pole and tells them simply, look up and live. Looking up seems simple enough. But in the midst of a snake swarm, okay, I just can't get over that, snakes around them You know, we would be focused in making sure that we're not putting our feet anywhere we shouldn't put them or making sure that anything isn't coming out to get me. Look up. Take your eyes off the distractions in front of you. Take your eyes off of your discontentment, off your certainties. Trust in God and look up and live. Seems simple enough. They had to trust that God would deliver them once again. They had to trust that Moses would lead them into the life that God had promised. You get an entire group of people who suddenly look in the same direction with complete trust and purpose, and incredibly good and transformational things happen. Amen? When we're all looking different directions, it's no wonder we're dealing with division and disunity and, and discontent. When we're all focused together in the same direction and we're not focused on the things right in front of us but we have our eyes on where it is we are called to go where we want to go when we all do this together, we become a powerful group of people and we want to be the right kind of power. There's power and community and shared purpose and trust. And that's what we want. Amen? That's going to lead us into the good life. It doesn't matter what we come across and what we struggle through. If we're together and we're headed in the same direction defined by God's idea of good and eternal life, It doesn't matter what we deal with in the meantime. It hurts, sure. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be frustration. There's going to be times we slip and fall. There's going to be times we look and realize we need to adjust our course, but it won't matter because we're together and with God and we have our eyes fixed, fixed on life. Friends, we are the people of the wilderness, we are those people. Yes, we struggle with some real discontentment and disappointment in this world. Of course we do. Yes, we've gotten distracted. We've diverted our attention to things that don't deserve our focus. Amen? Is it just me? I don't think so. Yes, we've we've allowed ourselves to get all worked up about things that don't ultimately matter. Doesn't mean they're not important, but they don't ultimately matter. Matter, And so let's visit this scene where Jesus brings it up in conversation with a Pharisee. And so let us read from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is this possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where, it's com- where it comes from or where it is going. It's the same with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, How are these things possible? Jesus answered, You are a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe... How will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the human one. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged. Whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged because they don't believe in the name of God's only son. This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world and people loved darkness more than the light for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and don't come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. Whoever does the truth comes to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus has this... Strange conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is sure that he's full of wisdom. And he comes to ask Jesus questions. He starts off by saying, We know that you are a teacher of God. We know it. Jesus tries to get Nicodemus to realize that his entire starting place of seeing things is off kilter. Jesus tells him that he must become like a newborn, a newborn who's been born again, born from above. To let go, essentially, let go of what you think you know. Very rarely do newborns come tell us how life is, right? They're just taking it in, they're learning. We need to take it in and learn anew as if we don't know. We need to seek God's wisdom This wisdom is the love of God in Jesus Christ. So Jesus invites Nicodemus to rethink everything, to be a person born in the spirit, to the wisdom of God, the breath of God, the life of God. And then he gives him the truth, compares it to the story in Moses, and says, for God so loved the world. God's love is revealed in Jesus Christ. Just like God's goodness was revealed in Moses raising the snake, we see God's goodness and love and the purpose of God in Jesus Christ. This wisdom, it is the great servanthood of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The servanthood, the way of life as defined by many of us is not capital L life. If we simply lift our eyes from our distractions for a moment, we can come to see how far off track we've actually gotten. If we look back with the right kind of eyes, we can see that we have made an interesting path. We can come to see how much we need to rethink everything, just like Nicodemus. Now, this is true for people who are not of the Christian faith, but friends, this is true for people who are part of the Christian faith as well. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Lent, and we wouldn't do this. I mean, and you can just step back. Let's look back for a moment. Let's look at our church, at our denomination. Let's look for a moment at our own hearts. If you're like Nicodemus, and you've convinced yourself that you know what's going on, that you know what's wrong with people in the world around you to the point where you can judge it accordingly, you know, be God, then you need to be born again and born from above, not below. Maybe we just need to stop and acknowledge the wounds that we've caused and that we carry and feel the burn of them and allow that to wake us up, to us to realize that we've been distracted and it's time for us to look up and to live. When we look up, we see the way of Jesus Christ, the cross and the resurrection. We see God in the flesh, fastened to the cross by people who, like Nicodemus, were convinced they knew so much that they judged the Christ. They judged God's king and Messiah and put him to death. They judged God. We also see God's King and Christ willingly accepting that judgment and death out of a love for us. Out of love for us who are so convinced of our wisdom. But at the same time, we also see that through that great servanthood and love, we see death and sin and certainty itself defeated. Defeated in love and the way of life offered once more for those who will look up and live. My God, God fills us with wisdom through the Holy Spirit if we only let go of our certainties, Jesus Christ leads us into the true, full, and eternal life in a way that we are no longer bound by ourselves and our hopeless wandering. Jesus Christ leads us if we fix our eyes on the way of God as he reveals it through the cross and resurrection. We fix our eyes and we will live the life we've always wanted. It's always been meant for us to live. Friends, we are... We are not wise people, amen? But we can and will receive the wisdom of God. Friends, we are not, we're not well, amen? But we can be healed from the wounds that we've both received and caused. We are not humble, are we? Amen? But we can and we will. Let go of our certainties. And we will repent, rethink, reorient, reimagine everything. Friends, we have been unfaithful. Amen. But we can and will receive the grace and love of God right here and now from above again. May you, may you look up and fix your eyes on the promise of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. May you look up and trust in the way of love and grace and mercy and justice and truth as God defines them. May you look up and remember that you need God. May you look up and live. And may you live a life that is true and full and real and eternal right here, right now, and forevermore. Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us. And it is our hope that through the Holy Spirit you have felt the touch of God upon your life. If you would like to know more about our church and its ministries, please visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.